Well, we may not be in the Tory leadership race yet. Oh, sorry, fuck that up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't just read. like the Tory party. It's very, very in line. Yeah, I'm gonna just show up at the the the, <laughs> the Tory leadership race. Like, Hello, I am the Tory leadership race. Fuck. <laughs> I am race. No leadership. No bullets. Build the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Build the wall. I guess what? Pineapple on pizza. Down with Thatcher. <laughs> Wait, no. If I want to get in the Tories, I need to up with Thatcher. And <laughs> bring back Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> bring back Maggie. Resurrect Maggie. <laughs> that would actually work right now in British politics. That's the fucking shit show we're in. Right. <laughs> Well, we may not be in the Tory leadership race yet, but we're here to talk gibberish, aren't we, Dom? Yep, we are back again. I mean, Current la- PM is being beaten by a lettuce, but we're here to talk gibberish. <laughs> I mean, last time we recorded, a queen had just died. You know, Queen Elizabeth II yeah. died, and she met with the current or the previous Prime Minister Liz Trust for like a few days before her death, because you know worked on the job. And uh, yeah, she, that Prime Minister is now gone after forty-five days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nine of those days, by the way, were spent in national mourning. So basically, nothing was actually done uh, by the government. So she didn't really do anything for nine days, which means she bungled it so bad within thirty-five days, she got booted from the job. Almost impressive if you you know realize she wasn't the most senior civil servant in the country. I, mean, I don't think if she was there, if she's in a room by herself, she'd be the most senior civil servant. <laughs> At least not the most competent. I mean, we had a disastrous budget came out. Uh, with like te- a declaration on taxes, like a random tax cut. The, even though like the bankers were like, we can't do that. You can't give us this much yeah. of an outcode. <laughs> we we can't cheat this much. Can you at least try and make it more subtle, please? Yeah. And the pound tanked. The economy went to shit for like th- a couple of hours before she had to U-turn, fire the chancellor, <laughs> and then bring herself back and be like, I'm a fighter. I will stay. I will lead this nation to deliver the goods we promised during our manifesto. And then like 40 hours later, she was like, I I I handed in my resignation <laughs> i will i will be here as a caretaker prime minister until a new leader of the tories party is chosen but other than that uh, i quit up yours <laughs> yeah after claiming what was it hundred and fifty thousand pounds a month for the rest of her life yeah that's uh, obscene now i don't know how long you'd have to serve to actually get that but if you have if she had any decency which you know politicians don't have any decency yeah you would hand that back and say, actually, I'll take a quarter of that, you know? <laughs> in fact, you know what you should do? Just say, you know what? Keep it. Yeah, I should any decency, keep it. But I'm, yeah. write, I'm writing a book about this period of time. I get all the profits up yours. Yeah. Because there must have been something. There must have been some kind of behind the, the, the background uh, dealings that we don't know about. I mean, the day before she left, it was the 20th. She left on 21st, we were going on 22nd. Uh, and the 20th, the Tories were trying to open up a, a debate on fracking, which is the process of just pumping water into the ground as a way of opening up gas and oil reserves. And she was um, basically trying to, or the, the Tory party were trying to open up debates about whether or not this should be legalised. It was uh, put into law that we wouldn't do fracking a couple of years back, under a Conservative government, I'm pretty sure. And they uh, they said, oh, we need to open up debate on fracking 
to open up the economy again. And senior party members of the Tories have apparently been seen like pulling backbench members into the voting area to get them mm. to vote because they were going to abstain. So there's clearly something going wrong with British politics right now. It's a complete yeah. shit show. And that's why everyone's saying, oh, we're going to bring in a new Tory leader. It's like, how about you? Yeah, you stick with that. But in the meantime, we, you know, kick off, we kick off a little thing called a general election. How about we, how about we get one of those and go? Yeah. I mean, oddly enough, the first person to call for it, Keir Starmer, leader of the Labour Party, the opposition of the Conservative government, understandable that he'd want that job again. Uh, yeah. He'd want that fight to come up again because, you know, at this point he might actually win it for once. And uh, yeah, the other people calling for it at the exact same time, Dick and Dom from Children's TV and H from Steps. Good to see the political heavyweights are on the ball, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna keep quiet, but then I found out that my namesake is uh, is going to be weighing in there. I mean, I need to throw my hat into the ring. Yeah. We now we're calling for a general election. So that makes, that makes five people calling for a general election, and and a few yeah. actual people are you know calling for it because. It's been a weird ride with a conservative government in down in England, and I, I just I look at it and I'm like, I, this I don't know how you're in charge. You, <laughs> I don't I don't actually know if I mean the last two prime ministers weren't elected by the people, the party was elected, and they've chosen their leader to be the prime minister. In fact, actually May wasn't elected either, but she chose a general election. She called a snap election, mm-hmm. and they won with a small minority. So yeah. I think that actually she might be the last time we chose a prime minister, and I don't remember how long ago that was. <laughs> I want to say that. I think you were right. I think we didn't even choose Theresa May because we had Cameron. He chose Brexit and fucked off. Gave uh, us no strategic plan on how to deal with that. Theresa May then jumped in. May jumped in, called a snap election to try and ensure a party majority. It backfired horribly, and she then stayed on as the leader with a smaller leadership, and signed with the DUP, the Irish Party. It's like an Irish mm-hmm. conservative political group to make yeah. a, a bigger majority to give her a little bit of leeway with votes, and then that just turned into open rebellion with the the Tory politicians. Yeah. So technically, I think we did elect, elect Theresa May. Well, not Scotland elected her. Scotland never would elect no. that. Um, but yeah, we, total shit show of British politics. And if it sounds very confusing as an outsider, don't worry, we're as confused as you. So. Yeah. <laughs> we sound like we know what we're talking about, but we really. Really fucking don't. We have to follow the news now for about an hour a day just to try and keep up with the latest nonsense. But at least nobody's trying to shag the secretary anymore. So that's yeah. <laughs> some mild improvement from the era of Matt Hancock. So, yeah. yeah. I was I trying mean, to remember his name. The current state of British politics is like trying to play darts, but you have uh, cubes, little dice that you need to throw at the dartboard. And the dartboard is on the back of a Maserati that's going 180 miles an hour, and you need to hit it. <laughs> it's drifting donuts around you, so yeah. <laughs> causing a lot you of have no way of attacking the dartboard. But you have these little cubes. You can throw the cubes at the dartboard. It's not going to fucking do anything. But <laughs> and uh, that's why we've chosen to just hide in media for the last couple of weeks because there's nothing we can actually affect. We get our vote when they allow us to vote, and then we we just wait and see what happens for the next four to five years. Yeah, and that, that's the unfortunate thing, is we just kind of need to wait and see. There's no, there's there's nothing we can do. We can we can protest, we can push it up online, but we can't fucking do anything until the election comes. And rest assured, we're going to do something when the, ele- when the general election comes around. Because to stop the country literally eating its own arse, 
we need a general election. Yeah. Because the way that our parliamentary works is that we just, we drop in the party and say, okay, you guys are running the show. And you just kind of let them run amok for four years. There's no way to kind of like go halfway through and then just put the brakes on them. It's just four years of, I hope this works. Fingers crossed. See you in five years for the next vote. I mean, yep. At least the Americans have their midterms where they can come and <laughs> just totally destroy their own system by giving the majority of one of the major voting houses to the other political party. Hmm. Which happens every like clockwork, and I think is due to happen this year, or maybe at the start of next year. I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure that they're due for the midterm. So we get ready for American political coverage that makes ours look positively eloquent. So, yeah. So I guess we just catch up with where we've been for the last uh, couple of weeks. Well, last time, yep. <laughs> last time on Dragon Ball Z, uh, we yep. had. I mean, I was at a gig for the first time in uh, a while. Um, I think. Previously, I went to see Ghost, but that was back in, like, April, and mm. that was quite nice. Was, I think I remember talking about it being kind of, it's close to, like, a religious experience. Like, it, it's deliberately because it's Ghost aping the religious experience of, like, going to church. Um, this one was not like that. This was just an old-fashioned metal gig. Um, I went to see Arch Enemy again. Now, you and I went to see Arch Enemy uh, back in the day. Uh, yeah. The Glasgow, is it QMU? Queen Margaret University? Yeah, Queen Margaret Union, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, and Arch Enemy just tore the fucking roof off the place, and then were followed by uh, Creator, which was just a blast. Yeah. Um, I actually been on a bit of a Creator kick, just having uh, Phantom Antichrist just playing again and again and again. And I've got like a big a playlist that I've got for like all my really heavy metal stuff, and there's a good yeah. chunk of Creator in there. I'm like, and these guys are great. So I might just go back and re dig back into is, all of the albums. Is your Creator kick in any way informed by the fact that we were getting Christian? shit all over our twitter feed oh yeah that was a weird one yeah like uh, the, the band went to see i'll explain this real quick unto others which is a new band i've never really heard of them before but it was pretty good live so i'll go check out their music i accidentally saw carcass again i've ac- i've actually seen them more live than i have listened to their albums which is weird because like they're like a legendary like thrash metal band <laughs> they're the old school they're 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 from the originals the back in the day guys um yeah. arch arch enemy were great as ever um i that that clip, that kick you get when uh, War Eternal kicks in, holy shit, that's still there. <laughs> um, and then Behemoth, they were the kind of lead show of the thing, and I have, I've even with Ghost deliberately doing kind of like a Black Mass style uh, concert. This mm. is the most satanic thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> it's awesome, but we're deliberately pu- pushing it a lot more um, satanic stuff on our Twitter just because it was annoying how many Christian things we were seeing and we're talking like that kind of not that like we grew up in the church you know we grew up we actually knew each other from uh, like a preschool run in the local church that's how we first met when we were like two or three years old something like that yeah yeah so we're raised in Christian households where it's like you know just take the basic principles of you know love thy neighbor do unto others you would do you know um, maybe ignore all the stuff about the slaves you know that's hidden in the Bible um, but just, you know, be a decent human being based on the teachings of Christ. That's how we were taught Christianity. Um, what we're getting is this weird kind of modern American Christianity where it's like, oh, we're, we're writing Christian sayings on, like, on uh, t-shirts with glitter, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just super, like, creepy, weird, like, fake Christianity we don't really respond to, but it's all this kind of very American evangelical stuff, and I'm like, where did we get this from? Because I don't go looking for Christian stuff. You don't go looking for Christian stuff on the podcast. So why is this making its way in our timeline? And we find all these Christian ads. I mean, there's one that I think I sent to you in our group chat here. 
Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a t-shirt advert, and it says, I believe in the power of prayer. And it's Snoopy and... What's the bird from Snoopy? Uh, Woodstock. Woodstock. And they're praying by a candle. <laughs> I'm like, why are you taking the Snoopy character and turning him ultra-Christian? I don't, I don't get this. <laughs> so we, we deliberately tried I mean, to push more satanic stuff out, including a few BMR songs. So I hope you enjoyed those. And just to see if I watched a lot of uh, Charlie Brown and the Peanuts and stuff and Snoopy when I was growing up. And not one, I mean, there were strong Christian overtones, but mm-hmm. at one point did they never stop and say, wait, guys, before we go out, let's pray. Like, before we eat, let's pray. Like, I never got that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, the gig was fantastic. I, I really realized how much I. I miss being a part of the metal scene in Scotland because it's, it's, it's a blast. Um, mm. There's a lot of people there that are just kind of like just there for the gig and you won't see them ever again until they show back up at the next gig. Um, there's like recurring characters in the Scottish metal scene that's kind of like, oh yeah, that guy, I remember seeing you the last time. Um, so yeah, well, since was that a, a, like a pretty heavy gig like this? Um, but it was good fun. Like I was really worried I wouldn't actually have the stamina for it because, you know, during COVID we all took a physical hit to the, the nuts. In terms of yeah. our stamina and stuff like that, so I was kind of worried, but no, it was it was it was good time. Um, it was in the pit for a lot of our training. I ended up lifting every fat motherfucker that was there. <laughs> every guy who was like, "I want to go up on the crowd surf." I'm like, "Oh, here we go again!" And uh, it turns out I ripped my jeans in half. Uh, massive rip on the ass cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I had my like I had a, a like a, a car, not a cardigan, but like a, a, a hoodie on, and just tied it around my waist, and I had it tied over the waist the entire time. So nobody like saw saw my ass cheeks hanging out, but it was like I, I, it wasn't until I got home and like I was like, walking back through Long Lithgow after getting off the train. I was like, "It's a bit drafty in here." <laughs> 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 oh right, and there's a massive rip in my jeans. So it's <laughs> it worth it though. Um, I could laugh just throwing people up. My favorite one was yeah. uh, this guy comes over. He's got like a heavy Eastern European accent, and he goes, "I need you to help lift my friend." And I'm like, okay, okay, cool. And I come over, and he just stops at this like older guy, and he goes, "It's my dad." <laughs> I'm like, hell yes! <laughs> I'm gonna throw your dad over the fucking wall. <laughs> yeah, it was just a guy who was like, "Hey, I want my my dad wants to crowd surf, but he doesn't know who asks. So can you give him a hand?" I'm like, hell yeah! I'll throw your dad up there. <laughs> but yeah, it. it was the good thing about my Arch Enemy though is that because it's a female fronted band and it's very kind of modern. Um, the lead singer is a very kind of progressive person, so she draws in that kind of crowd for young young women. So about half the people are just like these old metalheads that just want to come out and party, and half of them are these tiny little asses that you can just pick up and throw. <laughs> if they're like, "Oh, we want to go crowd surfing," you're like, "Absolutely no problem here. I'll give you a boost." And it's it's like you get to do like a heavy rep, a light rep, a heavy rep, a light rep, and you just keep cycling people through. And it's it's not that it's a kind of an interesting workout. But uh, yeah, I'm glad I didn't do leg day before I went because I was, I think I squatted about, I think you got six people in the space of 30 seconds up on the crowd, <laughs> up on the crowd surfing. So it's a pretty interesting squat uh, workout. But yeah, I would, I'd highly recommend, <laughs> we talked about this before when I went to see Ghost, if you get the chance to go to a gig at some point uh, in 2022, do it because everyone is just out there for a good time. And if you're unsure about metal gigs because you're like, oh, it's all people wearing black t-shirts and heavy jeans and uh, spiked, uh, spiked gear and all that, and it looks fucking heavy and intense. The yep. metal concert is the happiest place on the planet, because everybody's getting everything out of the system. Yeah. I mean, some people have got some pretty heavy drugs going on in their system, but they're fine. They're, <laughs> they're yeah, mostly they're just confused by where they are at the point of when they get thrown in the pit. 
There was one guy who actually started trying to hug me because he was like, I don't know where I am. And I'm like, you need to go stand outside of the pit and get yeah. cover, recover your senses, you know? Uh, he was Say it with me, hydrate. <laughs> uh, I did see, because um, I was like, I was waiting at the side while a few of the, the earlier bands were playing. And I did see a few people getting taken out. And there was one last who looked like she just got smacked in the face. <laughs> like, oh no. <laughs> what, what happened to you, young woman? Um, but yeah, just, you know, and that's the main thing about the metal community. Take care of each other. That's the best part of it. If somebody goes down in the pit, yeah. everything stops, get them back up, pit begins again. Although I will say, yeah. I don't know why, but people are obsessed with starting the circle pits. Mosh pits, never an issue. Circle pits, always somebody's going to fall. Yeah. There's just not enough. You can't really run the right way, so you have to kind of like half skip, and it just seems really kind of weird. But there's something about circle pits. Every time one opens up, that's when people fall over. That's when there's a big tangle up. Yeah. I just, I, I hate seeing them. The second I see them, I'm like, I'm stepping out. Fuck this, you guys yeah. can fall over and smack your face on the, the wood hard floor. I remember when I was at a download back in 13 years ago in 2009 at this point. Jesus. Uh, I was in the Guinness. Uh, Book of World Records, you know, what a record-breaking circle pit for Devil Driver. <laughs> uh, there was uh, a guy and these misses in front of me, and they were tiny motherfuckers. Right? And uh, I just remember at one point they got to fall, and then me kind of forklifting the pair of them, like holding them up in the middle of the circle pit. <laughs> Literally, uh, I had my arms underneath the guy's armpits, and I was just kind of like, "Right, I'm clearly going to have to prop you up through this. Just do not fall again, or otherwise we're both going down." And yeah. for this whole circle pit that lasted about the entirety of a song, I think it might have been uh, Devil's Son, I'm holding these two people up. <laughs> throughout this whole thing. Yeah, I just, I'd never get the appeal of circle pits. I mean, my next gig is actually in December. I'm going to see Bad Wolves at the Glasgow Car right. House. I think it should be pretty good. It'd be a nice big bouncy, uh, bouncy concert. So I think that'd be pretty good. I've never do actually been to the Car House. Do you still get the problem in pits of the one guy who clearly forgets what kind of gig he's at? <laughs> but he's thinking he's going to see some hardcore band and he's throwing fists, he's like spinning the arms and stuff like that, do you still get those guys? They're not so much of an issue, it's mostly most people get, okay this is about the shove, the bounce the pull and all that, like it's more about the kind of movement of your whole body, rather than you mm-hmm. throwing limbs around the place, I've not seen it being such an issue, but I think there's just yeah. when you get to venues like the, the O2 I think most people get it, that you know if you are, I just start throwing your hands, you're, you're dead man <laughs> Yeah, you gotta start throwing your hands in the pit, someone will pick you up and out and you'll be thrown out to the side I remember, funnily enough, at uh, Art Genome, I remember a lot of people throwing fists. Was like, you really just need to calm the fuck down, and you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna enjoy the the pit, just slam into people. You don't need to punch people. There's no need for that. Yeah, but yeah, Behemoth, it's seriously impressive. Like Art Genome was a lot of fun, um, and it's all very kind of um, like they actually see the they took photos and like video footage from the Glasgow concert, and you can just mm. see the crowds up for it. Um, fun enough, there's like a, a, there's footage of like one of the lasses getting thrown over, and she's just like really up for it, and you're like, that's the kind of energy you get. It's just everyone's really there for that band to really just have a good time. Um, and Beamoth comes on, there's a terrifying sign comes out of the crowd or the out of the speakers, and then like the audience just kind of responds with this kind of gutter over roar, and you're like, oh hell yes. I mean, I didn't get to stay for all of it; it's a shame. But the um, like the first, it's all like the first six songs before to go to get the train. Uh, just really brilliant. Um, brilliant enough, I got off the train on Linlithgow and a guy spots my t-shirt and goes, 
oh, you were just at that gig. I was there too. And I'm like, wait, how did we both end up going to the same gig? We have no fucking clue who the other one is. <laughs> but then we both come back to Lithgow and get on the same train, leave early to get the same train home. And yet I'd never seen him around. I've not seen him in Lithgow before. I just, this guy's just somewhere out there waiting to bump into me again. It's interesting. Yeah, that's, that's always a good thing about gigs. You, you just meet random people before and after the gig. I remember going to see In Flames for, I think, the fourth time. And I had an In Flames t-shirt on. And when I was younger, uh, when I had longer hair, and my hair was still relatively black, I did look a bit like Anders Frieden. And mm. folks used to come up to me, like, they'd just stare at me for a couple of seconds and be like, are you him? I was no. No. But I'm going to see him. <laughs> then it was just like, yeah, let's go. And like, I, I'm pretty sure on one of the uh, In Flames fans are all called Jesterheads. Yeah. On one of the Jesterhead fan sites, maybe on Facebook or something, there's just a whole shit ton of people taking pictures with me because they thought I was him. <laughs> I did not have the nerve to break to bust it to them. I think you get on there and just be like a massive troll, like, hey, brother, like, come into the same Facebook group and be like, hey, my name's Dom, I'm the guy taking photos of Sorry, you thought it was the wrong guy. Yeah. I just thought it was really funny to take all these photos. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was cool. Like, insta ban from that community, but totally yeah. worth it. <laughs> like, kick him out, he's clearly just trying to capitalize on it. <laughs> and just walk away singing the troll song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's funny that you were talking about Ghost actually because when Ghost play again in Glasgow which I think might be next year or the year after uh, my niece actually might come with me yo nice because she uh, unfortunately it's through TikTok but uh, I did hear Mary on a cross blew up on there yeah I'm like not the worst she, song to blow up and it's still Ghost but I mean guys yeah. come on <laughs> please dig into the band afterwards she because she's got Spotify and stuff like that she uh, she was on TikTok, she seen the song, then she went and asked uh, my brother, her dad, just say, have you heard of the band Ghost? And Grant's eyes just fucking lit up, like, yes, this is the way in, she was done. <laughs> this is how we get the metal to Lily. And apparently from that, she's just been downloading the discography, the entire back catalogue. So That's it, awesome. That's the best news. <laughs> you, you worry about the kids. Make sure they're going to grow up right, and you're not sure what you're going to leave behind as the next generation comes in. But then you hear the like Ghost, and you're like, hell yes. <laughs> Yeah, we we got in, boys. <laughs> I've all the bands uh, though. No, I think she does now. Because, uh, I mean, isn't she's been kind of raised around it? And uh, her sister, she she'll be getting the she'll be getting the same thing. Uh, she's been raised around metal for long enough. Now the fact that she's just kind of, you know, seeking it out. I mean, she's just she's ten. I was listen to metal music from us about five so she's a bit slow on that that line but the fact that she's getting there now yeah. the, the, the late bloomers are always the most interesting characters you know <laughs> they bring more to the community more experience and different out different experiences different takes and different ideas yeah. so i'm looking forward to that i think it's great that you know there, there is a way for kind of metal to get into the next generation because it's it is kind of weird when you 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 see this whole like massive obelisk of just metal it's like all the stuff about black t-shirts screaming and heavy guitars and stuff like that and you're like i don't know where to yeah. start and then you find like a little crack a little way in and then you start exploring it for yourself and you find the weirdest most interesting stuff on the planet oh and there are still the just say just when you're saying you find that little kind of crack in you kind of you find that little gap and you try and jump into that for most people it's like oh i heard especially nowadays i heard a uh, master of puppets on stranger things and now I'm really, really into Metallica. I'm cool Younger Tom would have just been like, oh, but Master of Puppets is your favourite favorite song, you fucking poser. But now I'm just like, cool, if you like Master of Puppets, try these records, try these. Don't listen to anything after St. Anger. 
you'll be fine. <laughs> Maybe even don't listen to Saint Anger. It depends on how you're feeling on Sunday. Uh, listen to a couple of songs in Saint Anger. Some of them are Rudy Moore. Most of them are garbage. But uh, yeah, and uh, I mean, there's still even people out there. There's still the fucking gatekeepers. I was at a uh, convention. When the fuck was it? Start of October, I think. Uh, Scotland Comic Con over in Edinburgh wasn't great. wasn't shit awful, but wasn't wasn't really great. I did get to meet Dom uh, Carlos Ferro from Gears of War, which is pretty fucking cool. Uh, but he was the only person I that I could really afford to meet because everyone else was stupid expensive. Yeah. Uh, the top of the list being Ewan McGregor at a hundred and fifty-three pounds for a photo. That's fucking bright. My brother met Ewan McGregor. Just bumped into him at work and got a photo for free. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to text him. Like, by the way, your photo that you got with Ewan McGregor is worth 150 quid. That photo, by the way, yeah. ended up, because it went on social media, a newspaper, is it Falkirk Herald, pulled it down and used mm-hmm. it for their article uh, about Ewan McGregor being spotted in in the in the Falkirk area. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> My brother signed the Falkirk Herald. Fucking bright. But I'll, I'll text him that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, con prices must be going up. And it's, it's weird because it's such a... It's not like a real expense that you need. It's weird that they're going to charge a dickish amount when they know, like, obviously, the economy is not doing that great. People's money is a bit tighter than it used to be. Yeah. It was It was a weird thing. And there was people that were paying for it as well. Uh, and it wasn't just a, you know, pay 150 quid or £155, £153, and then you can get in if it was 153 per person. So there was a guy that went with his missus. They both had to pay 150 odd quid each. Jesus. And then there was the higher end price. I think it was 180 if you wanted a picture with him in his Jedi robe. I don't fuck if he's in a Jedi robe. If I was going to get a picture with him, I'd get the lower end and say, oh, cool, I met you, McGregor, and I have a photo to prove it. That's, I mean, that's just nuts. I mean, it's. Yeah. I get it, it's a kind of rare opportunity, but at the same time, the fact that I can say, hey, my brother bumped into Ian McGregor and got like, a little cheeky selfie with him, and it was nothing. Same thing, at a con, 150 quid. Yeah, it's, your brother saved himself 150 quid. <laughs> and probably had a much better experience than the hundreds, maybe potentially thousands of people that waited up to an hour in a queue to get a photo with Ian McGregor. I mean, it is how these people make their money. Like, if you do con appearances, that is basically your... The idea is that you, you get a basic salary for doing the character. You do the actual work, it's kind of like a basic salary level. But then you take that character appearance and use it at conventions to spend the real money. I mean, that's kind of like a, a business thing that I've, I've heard about from voice actors and, like, minor TV actors and stuff like that. Like, you know, people yeah. who play certain characters, uh, like the horror uh, franchise, horror scenes are, like, the, the worst for it. Where you have, like, the mm-hmm. guy who played Freddy... Uh, Freddy Krueger or the guy who played uh, Jason. Apparently the guy who played Jason is notorious for just going to cons and be like hey it's me, it's the, I'm the guy, I'm the original Jason you know um, mm. it's just kind of like okay, he doesn't expect to get movie work anymore, he just does the con circuit you know, mm, that's a shame, yeah. you know, you were an actor you <laughs> you can you can do something surely Yeah, I mean there's quite a lot of that especially in I want to say, I don't want to say the, the lower end con scale but um, it's pretty much the best way I can describe it, the kind of, it, the yeah. UK con scene, there's just a lot of people that maybe did a film decades ago, but it's a cult film yeah. so they so they fucking show up everywhere uh, there was, I was going to say the there was two characters cast. from a film called The Neverending Story Yeah, you know, with Falcor, the dragon and stuff like that they were showing up at this con and they were 
charging, I think it was 80 quid to get a photo taken with them. I was like, this is fucking ridiculous, man. <laughs> like, I, I guess it's that kind of last gasp. I mean, this generation in particular is very bad for its nostalgia. Um, yeah. Like, our generation is very bad for it, and I think that's kind of maybe the last thing that they're kind of trying to grab the money for, is to say, like, we're part of that childhood memory you have. You sure you don't want a photo with us? We're getting kind of old. <laughs> yeah, we might not, <laughs> we might be, not here be here next longer. year. <laughs> It's a good way to exploit the kind of the scarcity of the product, I guess. But at the same time, yeah, yeah it's a little bit sleazy. Yeah, it's it's a bit shitty, but at the same time, uh, I mean, what can you do about it? It's it's conventions people pay through the fucking nose to go to these go to these things sometimes, and if they can meet a some meet a childhood hero, and they've got the money for it, you can't really grumble on it. What I do fucking grumble about though is fuckers charging well and. Well above and beyond for a uh, products like toys and things that you see on stalls. Uh, I, being a DM, a D and D player, Pathfinder player, I have a fairly decent collection of dice. I've not, I'm not quite, you know, Laura Bailey, where I have to get a small gravel sack to fit all my fucking <laughs> dice in. But I, I do have the need of something a bit bigger. Yeah. So where better to find something? I go to a convention, I get some handmade shit for about twenty, thirty quid. Looks great. So I went up to a table. Yeah, Yeah, I went up to a table and uh, I seen this really, really nice uh, wooden box with, you know, hand burning and stuff like that with that kind of weird hand burning engraving thing. Looked really, really nice. So I picked it up and I said, how much for this? And he went, oh, uh, that's a 90 quid. Excuse me? That's a 90 pound. And I opened it and it was padded on the inside. I was like, dude, I could get six dice in this. Easy. (laughs) Like my 10 that I got for free with my other dice for 15 pound can hold more than this. I will fucking leave. And then I went and just had a wander around the co- the convention and the more I play D&D and the more I write D&D and the more I play a Pathfinder, the more I realise that I need a notepad just to jot down notes and shit like that. Mm-hmm. I thought, I'll get, I'll get a cool fancy leather-bound notepad. And I was like, I'm not paying £60 for a thing that I'm going to fill out over the course of a year and have to replace. Yeah. No matter how cool it looks. I honestly grab like these cheap notebooks from Tesco. And it's like the old A5 ones, and I'm just scribbling them constantly at work. And I just fill yeah. those up. I've I filled one in basically three months. And I'm like, okay, go, yeah. go buy a new one. But again, I'm I'm blowing like five quid on it to use it for work. And then that's it. Yeah. I'm not going to spend like... Uh, even even a fiver, I'd grudge paying a fiver for a notepad. It, if, I'm going, if I'm looking for something that I will, you know, write down and potentially tear pages out of or give to someone else if they need a notepad, I don't want to spend that much money on it. To see these people, so, oh, it's a premium leather item. Yeah, but 80 quid? Fuck you. <laughs> I mean, if you kill the cow yourself, okay, I'll pay the money for it. But yeah. at the same time, like, no, you just you, you bought this off Etsy. Yeah. I've, I've, I've said it once, I'll say it again. The real Matt Mercer effect isn't DMs trying to step up to him. It's fucking parasites making these shitty premium items and charging exorbitant premium prices for it. Oh, you know the biggest rip I've seen? The DM screen. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure most D&D books or D&D like starter kits come with something like that because on the inside yeah. you hide like all the little charts and stuff, the little kind of quick reference stuff, which is good. Mm. That's a nice little touch. But then the back of it is just some like basic 4K art piece. But it's like, okay, yeah. it's, like, it's like an orc and a, a battle mage charging against like a bunch of goblins or something and that's the kind of, that's what you've got. But stuff like mm. that, the, the kind of artist versions of that, they just flip those for absolute cash money. It's unreal. <laughs> Fuck, you've actually just reminded me of something. Just on the, the subject of DM screens. Uh, I was looking for one the longest time because uh, 
I have a couple of uh, D&D books. The rest of my stuff is uh, stuff that I borrowed from other people or I've downloaded from the internet, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, I didn't really have a DM screen until I went and bought another RPG that came with a DM screen. But uh, I was looking, just randomly browsing on the internet, seeing a couple that were like $1,000 for this hand-carved, you know, lacquered wood thing. And I was like, okay, this has got to be, from the description alone, this is going to be amazing. It was basically just a varnished piece of pine with a hinge and a couple of shelves on it. Like a thousand dollars for that? Are you fucking serious? <laughs> I can go get some scrap wood, knock that together in about five minutes. Fuck off! I'm paying a grand. <laughs> I mean, I, I am, I've got fucking qualifications in joinery and carpentry. I could knock something out better than that for far less than a thousand. <laughs> that's our, that's your next before. challenge. I could do it cheaper. <laughs> that's our next challenge. We're gonna make you make one of these, and I bet you could do it in a speed run and have it done in about ten minutes. Exactly. I have the tools downstairs, right? If not, I have a neighbour that's a, a joiner. Ten minutes, I could go and get the right tools. It would look infinitely better than that jack-off piece of varnish shite. <laughs> it's, it's amazing like said, people try and flip. And that's that's the thing with geek culture getting more popular. Geek stuff was always kind of uh, higher priced because it was very small scale. You weren't making tons of it. So that's why yeah. there's a, it's a premium price. You're paying for somebody to mould it by hand, basically, to do this sort of thing. Now that big companies realise that geeks are where the money is, they can come in and say, okay, we'll mass produce this thing for pennies to make, you know, one of these DM screens or something like that, or like a dice holder or like a... I've seen like dice roller machines and stuff yeah, like dice that. dice trays, dice trays. Oh, just such a fucking rip-off where you can just roll the dice by hand and let everyone see the dice or hide it, you know. it's. I saw one yeah. where somebody made like a, it's a, a dual staircase, so it looks like the spirals of DNA. I've just smacked mm-hmm. one thing. So it looks like the spirals of DNA. And it's like you mm-hmm. can roll it down either side and one will be public facing, one will be private facing. But they're like, this is gonna this is like ninety quid a pop, and you're like, No, it's not. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, maybe three D printing that was a bit expensive, but you're clearly flipping for like a fifty a hundred percent profit at this point. If you're saying that cost that much to make, I doubt it. Yeah. See, yeah. this is the kind of this is the kind of person that I've become at conventions now. I'll spend money on things at conventions if I think if I trust if I trust the seller, if it's just some guys like I, I I go to other different conventions and like I usually get a decent amount of stock. Fuck you, you're just scamming people. But if it's a smaller kind of, you know, this guy's just clearly gathered up all the shit that he's had lying about his shop or something like that, and he's going to sell it. I usually buy from them. Yeah. But now I'm getting to the point where if someone's going to one of these fucking miser, they are money grabber tables, I just kind of sidle up next to him. It's like go on Amazon, you can get it for about thirty quid cheaper. <laughs> It's yeah. It's, it's a shame to see the geek community become big enough to be griftable. You know, yeah. Like with the grifters coming in stealing our shit. You know, yeah. Could you just not do that to us, please? Yeah. The worst part is uh, guys with game uh, stalls. Uh, as you know, I'm a fairly big Castlevania fan. I love it. Most of the Castlevania games. Uh, there was somebody selling a copy of Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which is many people's favourite Castlevania game of all time, somebody was charging £655 for it. And I was like, dude, if you really want to play that game, £13 on PlayStation Store or on the Xbox Store, you can get that and Rondo of Blood in HD. You don't need to fuck about with any weird cables to get it to play don't on your PlayStation and, 1 or your PlayStation 3. Don't just have to try and set up an emulator. Just run it as is from the PlayStation Store for 13 quid. 
I mean, yeah. I guess it was that like new in box. No, it was haggard. What the fuck? Because <laughs> you know, obviously, PlayStation One games came in those kind of hard plastic cases. Mm-hmm. There were cracks on the cases. The uh, the little inlay card was ripped. Like, dude, you've clearly just heard that this is what it goes for online, and you're just trying to sell it for that. The condition needs to be right for it. Yeah, uh, six fifty five. I'm, I'm expecting the collector's piece. Yeah, I'm expecting Alucard's actual fucking sword and cape if I'm buying it for that much. <laughs> I uh, just uh, talking about like the, the casing and stuff. I I've got my um, I finally got a Kubrick collection for like Stanley Kubrick movies and watched Two Thousand One: yeah. Space Odyssey. Good mm-hmm. movie, a little fucking out there and trippy. Way too long, <laughs> um, and like whole sections of it I would just cut. But but it was Kubrick's movie. It's the way he wants to make it. I get the feeling that's his style of movie. Haven't seen Full Metal Jacket as well. That he wants you to sit in that feeling for as long as possible, and just looking at the presentation of that versus uh, my Hitchcock Masters collection, and Hitchcock's ones like a, it's a real like premium uh, case for the the Blu-rays, where it's like each individual page every time you open it up is like a page in a book, and you've got this nice design of like the original artwork poster. The kind of features are listed on like a, a not quite um it's not quite an envelope. But like if the case slides into or the, the disc slides into like a little piece of um paper and cardboard that just sits there to hold the, the case, uh kind of acting as it rather than this. Whereas the Kubrick collection is just like a, a standard DVD case with just like multiple flaps that you can flip over. And I'm like, yeah. the difference in presentation makes me feel so much better about it. But like yeah, just the those old cases and those old things are just so antiquated now. Like the old PlayStation yeah. One boxes, like they were so tiny. And then it went to like a full scale DVD case because obviously the DVDs became a bigger thing uh, when the PS2 came out. So everybody mm. was just using those uh, DVD cases to hold games in. But now we're actually up to the point where like if you went to go like say collector's editions, I don't know where you're on that. I've never really been a fan of them for like collector's editions for games. But I feel like the market kind of tapped out with those collector's editions during the last kind of uh, run of games. Um, like the last it, couple it, of generations. It kind of depends where you go because I don't think I've got any new collector's editions of games. Like I've always wanted to try and get the Resident Evil 2, 3 and 7 special editions but if I want to get those now I think it would be the stronger part of a grand for all three. Holy shit. And it's just too much It's too much money to pay for them. Yeah. Uh, even brand new fun. they were about 250 quid. Uh, but Nintendo have always been good on putting these uh up more affordable special editions out because it's ninety pound. You get the game. Sometimes you get a little bit of DLC. You'll get an art book and you'll get some art cards, or you'll get these little uh, acrylic character stands. And they usually don't get higher than ninety pound. So Nintendo are still kind of championing the special edition, and if it means they can make money from it, Nintendo are going to chuck it out. And if it means they can get you to stay awake for four hours straight to try and get a fucking copy of it they'll they'll keep doing that do nintendo still do amiibos uh some some amiibos uh they i don't think they really do the smash bros ones anymore i think they're waiting for a couple more to come out like kazuya and i, th- I think if disney pull their head out their ass they might do a sora amiibo but apart from that i don't think they're really big on them anymore because they don't sell well mm. just remember amiibos coming out and being the hot thing and it was always like the kind of if there was a collector's edition there was always an amiibo with it um, yeah, like a character or like a limited edition. Somebody had like a Ghost Mario one or something like that, and it was like the the hottest thing. For some reason, yep. I want to say it's Ghost Mario or it was like a Pikachu one or something like that. 
but they had some big title character, like an alternate version of it, and it was like, oh my god, I need to try and get it. And people were blowing yeah. fat stacks of cash to sell it on eBay. I mean, I've got a few Amiibo. Uh, just basically the characters that I play in Smash Bros. Like, I've got uh, Snake, Squirtle, uh, Terry Bogard, the uh, the Castlevania characters, just because they were also bloody cheap at the time. Yeah. Because nobody really wanted them. I think the most I've ever played paid for a, an Amiibo is £10. Hmm. <laughs> I shit you. <laughs> That's not the figures I see getting thrown around for like the limited editions. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you want a gold, there was a for Mega Man Eleven. No, sorry, not Mega Man Eleven. Uh, for Mega Man uh, Classic Collection or Legacy Collection, whatever the fuck it was for the 3DS, you got a gold uh, Mega Man Amiibo. That Mega Man Amiibo now goes for about a grand, fifteen hundred, <laughs> just because it's gold. Can I just say you nailed the pronunciation of Mega Man Amiibo? Yeah. <laughs> like, holy shit. <laughs> that is a mouthful. Try to say that five times fast if you're listening yeah. at home. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> I heard you say I mean, it. If we, like, if we were recording a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was getting some dental treatment done uh, because I got punched in the face and it cracked my tooth. And then afterward, when I uh, had an energy drink after the rugby game, it just got in the tooth and infected it and got all nasty and stuff like that. Oh. So I had to go and get a whole load of uh, fillings done and it, it's definitely affected the way I speak. So I wouldn't have been able to say that a couple of weeks ago. That's nasty, man. I, I, I didn't know yeah. you were going through that, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry oh, to hear that. That's, that's not even the funniest part. The funniest part of it is that because I've had that much dental work done and I've had that many fillings in my shitty teeth, uh, I've built up a resistance to uh, lidocaine. Right. Um... So, uh, whereas normal people will probably take one, maybe two injections of this stuff to numb their mouth, I had six. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. I went to training that night, could barely speak. The coach thought I was on something. Uh, I had to tell my brother, because my, uh, my older brother, uh, he's... My oldest brother, uh, he's the one of the coaches at my new rugby club. He had to tell the head coach, just kind of, uh, Dom's really not feeling that great. He's not going to fall asleep. He's not going like, to pass out or anything like that, but he's a bit loopy. He went to the dentist. and I just kind of overheard the conversation as I was getting tying my, my bootlaces. And I just hear mumbling back and forth. I was like, ah, dentist, I go, six fucking, Jesus Christ, is he all right? And He's going to be great at taking tackles, so he can't feel shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, seriously, for the full day, I could not feel my fucking jaw. I just remember going home uh, after training, you know, went for, a, went for a shower, got all the mud off me, sat on my bed, uh, watched, I think, five minutes or something, and fell asleep. And I slept the sleep of the fucking dead. I woke up 14 hours later, groggy as all hell, wondering where the hell I was. <laughs> You should never be confused and panicked by your own bedroom. That's all I'm gonna say. It's not a good time you're coming. I was going, terrified. I just kind of, I just kind of woke up like, yeah, what the hell? <laughs> right, last, last thing I remember it was Tuesday. Why is it Thursday now? Oh, I know something we we've not talked about in the podcast. What Mario Brothers trailer? That Mario movie trailer came out, and we 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 put comments on Twitter on it. But uh yeah, just because you mentioned Nintendo, I was like, something about Nintendo we meant to talk about. <laughs> And uh, yeah, we saw the, the Chris Pratt Mario trailer. I'm um, big fan of Jack Black as Bowser. Uh, I thought he did a really good job. Uh, I, th- I thought the actual the animation for it looks pretty good. I know it's done by Illumination, and because the Minion movies are quite unpopular in uh, film critics circles, but 
I think that looks right for Mario Brothers. I think it looks good. I mean, give us back Mario's ass, you cowards. You had a dumpy. <laughs> we want that dump truck ass. <laughs> you took from us. We will not be treated like this. We demand action. Um, wouldn't it be brilliant if they had to go back and reanimate the entire movie to give Mario a proper ass? <laughs> well, they had to do what they did with uh, Sonic, yeah. Cats. Oh, they didn't do it go for back Cats. Oh, actually, no, they did. They did go back to Cats. There was uh, two different versions when it came out. They released the initial version. It had a week outside uh, as like the kind of uh, initial premiere week, and then it came back out with like more fur texture or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like they had to go back and add more in. Hmm? They had more fur texture and bottles. They had to edit out the bottles. <laughs> For some reason, I thought you said balls, like they added balls onto Serene McKellen's character just to see if anyone would notice. <laughs> he just lounging around and all of a sudden he's like long old grandpa fur balls hanging down from his body. <laughs> <laughs> just adding on them whenever he walked. <laughs> but the, um, yeah, I was going to say the Sonic uh, remaster where they just basically redo his entire face and his body. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was um, like they've they've just decided, to, um, and the main thing obviously Chris Pratt's voice. Um, it, no, I, I guess is the only thing I want to say. It's that. the laziest fucking Italian American accent you've ever heard. It's like it's a me, a Mario. It's a me, the Mario. And you're like, no, <laughs> go eat some fucking I mean, pizza. You know for a fact, just based on that trailer, Jack Black's going to steal the movie, and Luigi, and Luigi, uh, voiced by Charlie Day, is going to be much. It's going to be much more worth it than Mario. Mario's barely going to be in the fucking... You know what's going to be the worst thing is? What if this movie is actually quite good? It's just Chris Pratt's voice holding it back. And everyone has to kind of be like this awkward thing where it's like, I love 90% of this movie, it's I hate this. And I can't stand... And I think that's where it's going to go. I think this is actually going to be a decent movie. And it's just going to be Chris Pratt's voice that makes it a fucking disaster zone. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think everyone's going to say... Anya Taylor-Joy was great as Princess Peach. She's got that kind of, you know, princess quality to her voice. Jack Black plays Bowser. Well, voice is good. Charlie Day does a really good voice of, uh, you know, the cowardly brother Luigi. And they'll be like, what do you think about Mario? And they're just going to go right back to the top of the list. Like, Anya Taylor-Joy was great. Jack Black was awesome. <laughs> Charlie Day's like, yeah, but what about Chris Pratt? Anya Taylor-Joy was awesome. <laughs> Keegan-Michael Key gave a decent <laughs> performance. It's told there wasn't much asked of him, but I still don't want to talk about Mario. <laughs> Like, stop asking the fucking question. <laughs> like, just kind of, can we move on? Because, like, begging with the eyes. Just sweating heavily. Can we just move on from the question, yeah. please? <laughs> but it, it looked decent. Uh, I want to see the, the fire effect of Bowser breathing on the uh, the snow castle was amazing. <laughs> yeah. I will say that it's going to look great, despite what the film is actually going to be about. Because I, I don't know. Uh, I thought the Sonic films were going to be shit. Turns out both of them are really, really good films, and Nintendo, being the competitive bastards they are, probably will try and match it, if not try and exceed it. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, but th- this might be one where this either starts, this might kickstart the whole kind of uh, like video games as movies thing, because it's, it's been trying to go for a couple of years now. They've been kind of revving the engine, and it's been splattering out. But I think between Sonic, Mario, and Detective Pikachu it might actually force people... Although it's interesting that it's all those properties, these kind of younger, more childish things, maybe it's just because it can be sold to a younger audience and get kids to go and see it, because it's mummy, it's the Pikachu, you know, and they go take the parents to it and that kind of bumps numbers up, whereas something that's a bit more serious, like, I don't know if you remember the Prince of Persia movie? I do not. Good, must be nice. Do you remember the Assassin's Creed film? 
I chose not to watch that as a pretty decent Assassin's Creed fan. I don't want to see that shit. <laughs> I did watch it, and I'm a big Benedict Cumberbatch it. fan as well. Oh no, it was it was it was Michael Fassbender, wasn't it? Fassbender, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big decent fan of him as well. Like, no, <laughs> no. it was not good. It I, was not a good film. I don't want to see this uh, car crash of my you know a, a good actor and a, a beloved franchise just shitting itself inside out. I guarantee. Just getting back on the whole Mario thing, I guarantee they're gonna. Mineshaft Canary this They're going to send Mario out there and see how he does If he does well, I guarantee you Zelda and Metroid are right behind Being kind of two Nintendo's big titles And if they do a Metroid film People are going to be raging If Samus talks And if they do a Zelda film, they're going to be raging if Link talks So it's going to be a bit, you know, softly, softly If they go that way But I guarantee that's the direction that they're going to go They're going to just Okay, we've done Mario, let's chuck in Zelda, let's chuck in Metroid, let's chuck in Pikmin, can F Zero, let's just get all these franchises out and let's, you know, marvel this shit. Just I, chuck everything to the wall and see what sticks. I think if you do those franchises, you have to from the start say, Look, we're doing a Metroid movie. Samus has to talk, Samus is gonna be a character, we're gonna write Samus a certain way. You're gonna have to deal with it, unfortunately. Like the yeah. fan some of the fan base are gonna revolt, some people are gonna like it. Just the fan base is big enough, you'll have both those camps existing. Yeah. See, personally, it doesn't really bother me because as someone who's played every Zelda game I think they've put out at this point, Link has started talking more and more through dialogue options. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of okay with it. And Samus in Metroid Dread does talk. She doesn't talk English. She speaks in Chozo, but she still talks. It's not really that big a deal. I just know for a fact there's going to be some quote-unquote purists. I've only played Super Metroid and Metroid for NES and SNES that are going to piss and moan and say, Samus doesn't talk. Like, who gives a shit? Yeah. It, it's a strange thing if we get to balance geek fandoms these days because they're just, they're too big and they're not happy. There's always an unhappy population within that community, so you just kind of say, eh, fuck it. Yeah. But I think if you actually made something that was your product, like if you had somebody come in who's a very kind of visionary director, Someone has a style. Somebody has like an idea. Yeah, and they the thing with Metroid is they need to they need to shoot it in such a way that it's not just going to be aliens, but with a bounty hunter instead of Ripley, because the Metroid games are based on alien. It's just, they are kind of one to one. Ripley is uh, the name uh, Ridley comes from the director of the first one, Ridley Scott, and Ridley's this big space dragon leader of the space pirates. So they need to shoot it in such a way that it's not just, oh, this is just aliens, but with a Nintendo skin on it. And it's, you need, yeah. I, I do get what you mean. You, you would need to get someone with a distinct sort of visual visual style. Or even just like a, a solid idea of like, I'm going to do this with this franchise, and if you don't like it, it's not for you. And yeah. it's, it, but it has to be something that sticks by the guns, whereas I think most of these movies nowadays, it's such a big investment to make like a multi-million dollar, like hundreds of millions of dollars for this type of mm-hmm. film to get made. And to do it properly because of all the special effects budget you've got to put in there. Um, I think if you look at that, by this time you get to like the the hundred million dollar mark, immediately there's a committee of people executive producing it and saying we can't have that. We have to kind of round out the edges to make our money back. Because I don't think you're going to get a a movie based on a video game that is unique. Of it's just going to be generally crowd pleasing, if that makes sense. Yeah, like I can imagine. Yeah, it does. I don't think you're going to get one film that's. You're not going to get, in terms of visual style, you're not going to get the Batman when the film is about uh, a, a random franchise here. It's not going to, you're not going to get 
the Batman out of Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. You're just you're just not going to get it. Yeah, Ganondorf's going to be the bad guy because he's the bad guy, and we say so. You know, there's not going to be any kind of nuanced yeah. take on what Ganondorf really wants out of life. Um, you know, Ganondorf even... isn't voiced by Keith David. They're doing it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> it's just they're doing it fucking wrong. I, I just I, I look at that. And I think what would it what would it take? Because I mean, like, um, I, I think back to the original the, the Doom movie with Carl Urban and The Rock, and hmm. that although it's not great, has the fun, awesome sequence of the first person view, hmm. where it's just first person Doom. But in, in real life, and I'm like, would they do that with a franchise? Like, you're talking about Metroid. Metroid has that kind of uh, third-person view, where it's like you're you're watching the, the character move on like a, uh, like a map that's kind of two-dimensional, but, you know, you're viewing it from the, the, the side view. Um, I wonder if they would do something like that. Like, would you have a I shot? I think they would probably do some kind of callback to the games, and I, th- I think... That's a uh, that's expected because even in Sonic there are some uh, deliberate kind of calls to the to the games. Mm-hmm. Other uh, with the just you know here Sonic doing a spin dash. There's he's running the, the loop thing, you know. Yeah, some of the level, some of the scenes that he, they show you, it's like okay, that's clearly meant to be the snow level from Sonic Two or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm thinking of I stuff think... like um, you remember that it was Demonic uh, was that movie that came out um, a couple of months back. And it was part of it was interesting was that it was from uh, Jason Wan, or it was produced by Jason Wan, and he had like the generic James horror Wan. house. James Wan, yeah, he had the kind of generic um, horror house, and they did like top down shots and stuff like that, something like mm-hmm. that appearing in a, a, a that, that kind of weird altered perspective that you don't normally see in a movie. I wonder if they would do something like that for uh, something like a Metroid game. They do that kind of the 2D uh, side-scrolling thing with the camera just kind of holds tight on Samus as she walks through like, a location or something like that before yeah. she goes to a boss fight. I, you know what? I can't believe I didn't think of this, but the, the hallway fight from Old Boy, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, just do something like that, but for Metroid. And have just, yeah. like, things run in from one side of the, the screen, like they're always running into her, and then her just kind of improvising and fighting her way through a hallway filled oh, with the, the aliens. I thought you've you've just made me think of the perfect way to do that. In the Metroid games, Samus gets an ability called Speed Booster, mm-hmm. where she she sprints for long enough, and then the, these kind of jet engines open on her back and allow her to just speed through an entire level. You do it where she gets the power up, and then the camera just holds on her as she builds up speed, and then the camera just follows her as she rockets down this level, it kind of blasting enemies apart as she runs. Aye, close up of the face, building intensity, and then you just hear this kind of like noise and all of a sudden it just flips out and you just have her running like sprinting through what looks like a level in metroid that would take a lot of work and it'd be a lot of set design but again i wonder if somebody has a, the vision to make that work in something based on metroid and if they're going to do video games based on that i think metroid's up there as a candidate um yeah i know the last time they tried to add, add some kind of weird extra story to metroid it was i want to say it was the wii u game where they made it was Samus metroid like, other m for wii yeah, and they gave Samus like daddy issues or something like that, and the fans went, "Fuck no, that's not Samus." Yeah, it's um, what Metroid Other M did to Samus. Metroid Dread had to course correct so fucking bad because in Other M, uh, she wanted to help the Federation, which is like the big space federation that rules over uh, all space in the Metroid games. She wants to help them, but she's like, "Okay, uh, just to make you put you guys at ease, I'm gonna." I won't do anything without your say-so. I won't use any of these guns unless you say, you know, Samus, you can use that weapon. And all the fans just kind of went, hmm, oh, okay, let's... Uh... Samus does not ask for permission. <laughs> Samus yeah, does she says sorry when ass. she blows a hole in the wall. 
it took this whole badass solo woman and just kind of made her like, please, can I use my super missiles? <laughs> Is it okay if I use my big gun, please? <laughs> can I use my screw attack, please? <laughs> just can do it, Samus. And and that's why people didn't like other M. Personally, I don't think it. For me, it didn't play bad. It wasn't great because they tried to do two D and three D in the same game, so they did two D uh, movement. But they did 3D shooting, so you would be in a first-person perspective to do some shooting segments. Then you turn the Wii U on it, the Wii U controller, the Wii remote on its side, and then you'd go back to doing 2D segments. Oh. I was like, okay, this is a, it's not a fun game, but if you know, gun to my head, there's nothing else to play, I probably would play it again. But I finished that game, I will probably not go back to it. Hmm. It's not a great game, and uh, like you said, it is a character assassination for for Samus. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just when you hear about stuff coming out and like the trailers for the Mario movie, and it, it's again this actually ties in something else that came up in gaming. Uh, the Bayonetta actress was being offered something like only four grand to do the entire four thousand dollars, yeah, four thousand dollars to voice an entire character for a video game, for a character she's voiced for the previous two games, which are wildly successful in terms of like building a cult fan base. You know, there's a solid. I, just, I wouldn't actually say it's a cult fan base; it's a decent sized fan base. Yeah, it's it's not even a cult game. It is like you said, it is a wide fan base. If you own a Nintendo system, even an Xbox, chances are you've got Bayonetta, because Bayonetta originally started on Xbox. Uh, Xbox and PlayStation didn't want it because sales were bad and there was a whole lot of issues. So Nintendo just kind of stepped in and went, "You want to make it for the Wii U? Sure, we'll give you money for it." And that's <laughs> how it kind of became a, a Nintendo franchise. But it's not just Bayonetta one and two that she did the voice for. She did the voice in uh, Super Smash Bros. for 3DS and Wii U and Smash Ultimate for uh, the Switch. So she's done at least five games as Bayonetta, including other platinum titles that she appears in. And there's other uh, appearances that she has. I think she's in a game called uh, Anarchy Reigns as a playable character. So mm. she's be- she's basically put her mark on this character. So she, and then, yeah, she is being from her account. She was only offered four thousand dollars, yeah. But the shitty thing about it is, it's actually came out uh, that she might have been lying about that whole situation. Oh, because that was that was outrageous. Which is, is fucking, yeah. It's outrageous, but the idea that you would lie about something like that is kind of equally offensive to the the community. That was like when I say like it kicked off, the community was instantly at arms. Like you will pay that money. You will pay her the better money, or else. Yeah. We will, you know, we will boycott. And I yeah. don't think the game's that it far away from launch. People cancelling pre-orders. People. Uh, yeah, uh, people were cancelling pre-orders. People were attacking the vice president of Platinum Games. He was a wanker, but still, uh, people were up in arms about it, and rightly so. If it was that amount for a multi-million-dollar franchise, but to then, like you said hear about that it might have been all bullshit it's just kind of like come on I, yeah, that, like pay your voice actors being fair up here for voice actors then yeah absolutely the voice actors voice actors you'd think with the unions and stuff like that we'd be getting paid but and I, I've been hearing that there's a bit of that but apparently it's not coming quick enough no it's shocking I mean there's um, I, I want to say it's one the is a voice actor for Crunchyroll, who does the voice of Mob from Mob Cycle One Hundred, which is the is a, a further uh, story from the same guy who did One Punch Man. 
very highly appreciated mm-hmm. show. Season two was phenomenally well directed in terms of its animation and gave a lot of characters some interesting like bits and pieces of character acting. So the main actor for that has also been told he wasn't going to get paid like much to do the voice of mob to come back as like the the head of a flagship show for Crunchyroll and just no, nah, just it was just another instance of people just saying no, we can we can get somebody to do it cheaper or we can stunt cast it and we've been against both like pay voice actors properly and stop stunt casting mm. stuff with you know guys like Chris Pratt stop getting celebrities in to do roles where you can actually find a talented voice actor and give them the chance to be a household name. Yeah, and it's funny that you're talking about uh, anime voice actors because I did hear a bit of controversy about that. There was an anime that I can only remember the can last part of it. Something Kaisen, Jujutsu Kaisen. Yeah, there were some voice actors that were only paid one hundred and fifty dollars for their entire efforts. Holy shit! Um, like that, which I thought that's just fucking horrendous. That is one of the shows that people consider to be the, the next big shonen. So it's like the next big show, something like uh, Bleach Attack. Uh, I was gonna say Attack on Titan, but like Bleach Naruto, One Piece. Like those are all the shonen terms. Like Dragon Ball Z fits in the category as well, and that was in the the running to be the next big uh, you know shonen show. Not a big fan of it myself yeah. personally. I just I think it's just another shonen show. Um, but I've seen it all. I've watched all the TV show. I went and bought a ticket to watch the movie. Um. But you know, so I've watched it all the way as much of it as they've made into voice acting, but the characters aren't exactly fucking around on the voice acting side of things. You know, the shonen voice actors—they're—they're—they're yeah. they're, they're having to scream their lungs out at certain points, and nobody really holds back. And they're good performances. So the idea that somebody got paid pennies for that is stunning. Like, and that's Funimation's uh, dropping at the market and it just kind of merging into Crunchyroll has opened up the the floodgates to a bunch of different voice actors. The original kind of. Funimation cast are still there doing certain products and doing certain um, recurring characters. They've always got that kind of staple of who they've been in the past. Like Chris Sabat's always going to be Vegeta and Piccolo. That's never going to change. Yeah. If that changes, we riot just by default. Yeah. I, but the the other roles that are there, especially with Netflix stepping in, them having their own kind of dubbing process and they're using their own staple of, stable of actors, brings in a lot more voices to the the show. Like to a bunch of different shows, and it's quite good to see different characters coming through and making different names for themselves. One of the biggest shows right now is Chainsaw Man, and I don't recognize anyone on that cast, and I love it because it means I'm not going to expect to hear the same voices. I'm going to be thrown out thinking, Oh, that guy's that guy from the other show, so it's the same character. And you know, having a wider variety of actors, you'd hope that they'd be getting decent pay rather than just kind of saying, Oh, it's a new actor, we don't have to pay him that much money for his efforts. And it's like, can we just can we just be fair with each other and get the best product we can for a decent price? Do yeah. you not have enough people paying? Especially if they are an up and comer, you don't want to. If they are an up and comer, you don't want to just say, you know, here's here's buttons, and we're going to get every ounce of energy out of you for this performance. Because we know, yeah. as an up and comer, you're going to put your ass on the line to try and get the next job. Yeah, and there are some people out there that would just kind of go, well, you know, this is the breaks. You know, I got to do the shit before I get the good. No, get the good first. Get, get a decent paycheck or not, you know. <laughs> That's the thing I don't yeah. get is it was a it's a guy I used to watch on YouTube. I've not seen him in a while, but he was a, a manager. He owned a, a business cleaning septic tanks, but he would do these like business lessons of just like he'd be out on a call and he'd be like waiting for like five minutes for the next person to arrive with a truck to help clean out a septic tank. And he would just shoot these little TikToks of these short videos explaining part of the principles of how he runs his business. And he explained at one point, I pay my people a damn good wage. 
because I want to make sure their job is enough to keep them going. So they only have to do this job. They only have to work for me. They only have to focus on my job. They do my job right. I never have to come back here to redo work because they've done their job right the first time and they get the job right and they don't have to worry about anything else and their mind is on the job. And I'm like, that's such a good principle to work based on, you know, just to to make sure that everything, you know, your people are taken care of so they take care of the work. And I don't know why you wouldn't apply that same idea to voice actors, but I guess it's a, it's a Hollywood thing. It's like a, a thing of like, oh no, you, you got to work cheap for a couple of years to really make a name for yourself. Fuck that. Pay yeah. your people. Yeah, I mean, do you think Mark Hamill, when he's, because his first, his first voice role was, his first big voice role was the Joker. Do you think he got shit wages for that? Nah, he probably got paid pretty well for it because Mark fucking Hamill. Like, there's still big names out there yeah. that, you know, big voices out there that could probably make the step in and make this change because it's not going to happen until guys like, like you said, Chris Sabat step in and say, right, I get that I'm a kind of veteran voice here, but let's try and get some of the newer guys in and let's pay them a fair wage so they don't immediately turn around and say, fuck voice acting, I don't want anything to do with it. Because this thing's like, a guy like Mark Hamill was talented enough, he would have made it on his own as, he was a talented actor. I say yeah. was, I don't know if I say was, he's still around. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, We're like, recording this in 2045 when Mark Hamill unfortunately passed away. Yeah, actually. Defending his country from the franchise wars when Taco Bell tried to take over Mexico again. <laughs> <laughs> the, the real they branded themselves the real Mexican Empire. Mexico was not having that shit. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever listen to people from like America and Mexico talk about Taco Bell, it's with a fury you don't see regularly. <laughs> they are pissed that that's the representation of Mexican food. Yeah. They are not happy about it. But um, I've not had Taco Bell, but there's one in Glasgow that I, there's one in Glasgow and there's one in Edinburgh. That every time I see it, I just think. I could go in and try it, but I know for a fact there's a much much better taco place up the road a bit from uh, where the one is in Edinburgh, so yeah. I'd rather just go with that. I'm not willing to die on the toilet for this type of tackle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, somebody like Mark Hamill is talented enough that, as an actor, they could make a name for themselves. He didn't have to be Luke Skywalker to be a famous voice actor. He was talented enough to become a good voice actor in and of itself. If he'd not been yeah. Mark Hamill, if he'd just been someone else with that voice, he would have been fine, and that would have been a voice actor we know today, the same way we know guys like Kevin Michael Richardson. He's a yeah. talent, so he's he's going to make a name for himself regardless of you know who he was to begin with. But I'm worried that we're preventing people from making that leap because they're not already that name, because mm. you know people are getting you know stopped at the, the doors of the industry and not allowed to do their stuff. I think it's also a case of uh, anime in of itself because you get you've mentioned guys like Kevin Michael Richardson, I mentioned Mark Hamill. They cut their teeth voice acting wise, doing sort of cartoons and western animation. It seems to be the anime voice actors are just like, well, we we ask you for more. It's dub artists as opposed to actually, you know, you're creating the lines. You're doing a different type of work. We can really charge what we want here. And I think that kind of goes to, that should in some way explain, you know, if they're doing it in America, in the United States one way, and we're doing it a different way, who's doing it better? I actually think in terms of how you actually write and produce the shows, they're not that dissimilar the difference yeah. with a, a dub actor is that you do have to kind of work on matching lip flaps but both shows are pre-scripted so we both they both have the translate like you have the japanese original writing that's translated into the script that gets read aloud and you're trying to sync up to the, the voice acting or to the lip flap which is a horrible skill if you try and learn it yourself you're just absolutely screwed but 
those the voice actors for American shows are still going in giving the performances and then the animators work on the lip flaps to match their work because we're the original kind of source of it in a sense whereas I think that the the anime actors and the voices are done originally as far as I'm aware it's the same kind of process just done in Japan we just happen to get the dub over here and they have to try and match lip flaps roughly so there's a little bit of re-scripting but again that's all taken care of by the time they're in the booth so it's it's mm. it, I see it as being much more similar to the Western East and the kind of the anime yeah. uh, voice acting schedules as being kind of roughly the same. Yeah. Well, I might be wrong there. There might be some industry insight that I just don't have. And it's just kind I of. I think even just in terms of like pay scale, there could be, you know, a bit of translation between the two. I think whoever, whatever union's running for sort of anime dubbing, because you don't hear nearly as, uh, as many uh, stories about people who dub cartoons in the UK. Yes, getting shit pay. Yeah. There probably are some out there that are just quiet, but I guarantee it's gonna they're gonna be getting more than you know, hundred and fifty dollars for a season or something like that. Yeah. I think it stems as well from the fact that people in the anime community for the longest time, for the voice acting groups, have been fans themselves. So they've come up through the ranks of being fans and then getting really into it and then deciding I wanna be an anime voice actor. So I think people have put up with a lot of shit just to be part of the industry. And then maybe that there's a little bit of kind of like catch up to they're, they're trying to catch up that maybe we don't know what they, they on a regular american cartoon voice actor gets paid but i imagine it's not too bad um yeah so yeah i mean it's, it's a whole like thing that maybe i'm hoping somebody at some point deep dives into it like a proper journalist goes in and like sorts something you know kind of like yeah jason Trier did a lot of stuff in video games kind of wish yeah. somebody'd go in and do a bit of that for for voice acting um in terms of like who gets paid what yeah because these stories are becoming frequent, and I think it just takes someone exposing it, just saying, you know, I don't know if Funimation pay their uh, employees that badly, but just someone saying Funimation only paid, just say, Chris Sabat $100 to voice Piccolo and Vegeta and Yamcha in the early days of Dragon Ball Z. All it takes is for them to say, yeah, that was true, then that can at least have a bigger conversation. So, yeah, hopefully it does. someone does... You know, pull the plug on it and say, "This is what happened, and this is why we need to change you." <laughs> Somebody just pulls the curtain back and goes, "Behold the shit show of anime voice acting!" Like, oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> like, Jesus, we knew it was bad. <laughs> Our expectations were low, but holy shit! <laughs> yeah, I, say the... I think that's going to be the worst part of it is when we all go, we all think, "Oh, you know, the state of state of the voice acting community, you know, it's pretty bad." And then when they actually open the curtain and say, this is what it really is, we just kind of go, oh, Christ. Yeah. <laughs> this is what it really is. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's a shame. I, I just, you kind of wish that people get a fair deal, but they never do. Yeah. Um, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Being, I hope it does, but immediately it's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I, I doubt it. It's, it's just one of the things that, like, it, it starts as, like, a kind of thing of, like, it, and once you start poking your product, yeah, they kind of slithers away in the corner. Or it just it just disappears entirely, and everyone pretends it didn't happen. You're like, guys, what did we just all see? <laughs> Get some action going on this one. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I would hope that at least with Netflix coming in and doing their stuff for anime, that you get something reasonable uh, or reasonably uh, effective in terms of pricing, because it brings other people in the industry. When you get a monopoly and stuff like dubbing, like uh, like Funimation had. I think that kind of sets too much of a standard and then everybody just kind of sinks down to that level and doesn't try and push anything further. But having bigger companies step in to try and help uh, adds a bit more diversity in terms of marketplace. So maybe that, maybe it works out. I mean, they, they did yeah. shows recently for anime that's quite good. 
Um, big fan of it's a weird show, but Tiger and Bunny. It's mm. uh, it's a show about basically like a, a middle aged superhero, and him losing his powers, but he's trying to train the next generation before he he taps out. But it's it's pretty good. That show's been uh, I think it's part two. I'm on season two, part two, and mm-hmm. uh, they keep bringing that out. It's it's interesting blend of 3D and 2D animation, so it's it's quite good. But uh, main thing I watched was uh, Bastard, um, which was just so much fun. It was. <laughs> I think I talked about part one, uh, back when I finished that. But I finished part two recently. I I want to say I actually finished it before the last episode. Just didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Bastard was a lot of fun. It, it's clearly a show written from the eighties with that kind of eighties mindset of like everyone. Weirdly, like a lot of the women's costumes are based on like eighties uh like clothes design. Um, so for example, there's uh Arshisney who is uh <laughs> in a disgusting twist. It's uh, D. Snyder, uh, who is the main character. It's his adopted daughter and love interest. And you're like, oh, anime, why are you this type of weird? You know, yeah. why, why are you openly doing the incest porn plot lines? I don't like this at all. Um, but her, like, outfit is based on, like, 80s workout attire. Mm-hmm. So it's got that kind of deep cut kind of bodysuit that you've seen, like, old 80s workout videos. I like what what is this? <laughs> but it's 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 awesome because it's based on um uh like old eighties metal stuff. So like one of the one of the main characters is a vampire called Diamond and it's obviously based like the face paint is based on King Diamond. Ah right. So it's just a bunch of metal gags thrown over the top of an anime, but like that's the source material is just like old eighties rock and heavy metal. Um but they're doing most of the fantasy part of it. Because I've heard from um people who've read further into the manga it becomes science fiction because technically it's set in the future but it's set after a massive nuclear holocaust so it's these are the, the kind of surviving people that somehow have magical powers so mm. it starts as like a, a sci-fi kind of blend of sci-fi and fantasy um but like set off in like the dystopian future or the absolute nightmare future that's kind of similar to say vampire hunter d that kind of like everything's basically a wasteland there's like pockets of humanity yeah and uh, yeah it's, it's a lot of fun it's very silly um but i said it's a silly metal themed adventure with an overpowered protagonist zapping demons and sorcerers to save babes and it's just that kind of mindset once you're in that kind of mindset you're like hell yes <laughs> i think at one point he just says hey i'm gonna survive this i'm the main character and i'm like yeah it's <laughs> he- <laughs> got that kind of big swagger energy that you kind of enjoy like I've, i didn't realize how much you don't have that anymore in certain stories and it's just like okay this is this is fun i enjoyed this i'd recommend it i I think it's gonna be a bit weird at points but at the same time like if you just appreciate that kind of old school anime but like modernly uh drawn like the the visuals of it look pretty good and they don't do too much with uh 3d like cgi stuff it looks it's probably like digitally drawn but it looks kind of old school in a sense and obviously everyone's got mullets for haircuts yeah, but because so, you need that, <laughs> you can't, can't have something in the eighties without mullets, obviously. Yeah, although it, it annoys me to say that the mullet is coming back. There's a lot of a lot of people in rugby grounds up and down the country that are sporting the fucking mullet nowadays. Bugs me the, no end. <laughs> of all the things for Stranger Things to bring back, why would it be that fucking mullet? Yeah, <laughs> I say like speaking of stuff on Netflix. Have you seen the Watcher yet? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Uh, Watcher is a story of it's a it's a house uh, called Sixty Five Boulevard, and it's mm. based on a 
Now, this is a true story. There was a point in the newspapers where someone went to uh, buy, like, a house in the middle of, like, the kind of New England, a uh, nice upper preppy area, and decided to uh, buy this, like, multi-million dollar house. And then a couple weeks into living there, they started getting letters from a guy called The Watcher who would just describe what was going on in the house uh, and saying, oh, I've been watching over this house for years, uh, making sure that, you know, everything is as it should be. Um, I see you have two young kids. Do they play in the house? Do they, I see them scampering around. Do they ever play in the basement? They should be afraid of the basement and leaving all these really ominous letters around the place. This is a, a, a dramatised version of what happens um, and just taking it off into weird borderline supernatural and it's a very good haunting show. I'm not going to spoil mm. anything for you because I just finished it today and the way it kind of misleads you and throws out all the red herrings is very enjoyable but they, it's like seven episodes and it's mostly like an hour long. Um, main problem person I think you might recognise it is Naomi Watts. Um, she was the blonde girl in King Kong by Peter Jackson. Um, she's showing oh up. yeah. Yeah, she's, uh, she's back in this and there's a bunch of people that you might kind of recognise uh, character actors from like here and there. Um, this is a, this is the one I've been like throwing around at work because a bunch of people at work are watching it, so we're all talking about it. Do you remember American Pie? And yes. Stifler's mom is in it. Stephanie, oh, Jennifer Coolidge. Yes. I went no. Somebody went oh Jennifer Coolidge. I went no. Mrs. Stifler's mom. That is her Stifler's name. Mom, now. Yeah. <laughs> that is her name now. Um, so she's in it uh, as a realtor, uh, as like a property salesperson. And she's such a bitch. <laughs> it's, it's one of the things I'm like, I hate your character. You're a very good actor for portraying it that way. But yeah, it's a, it's a very good uh, mystery show about what's going on. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, I d- and the main guy, I keep forgetting his name. Um, Bobby Cannaville uh, mm-hmm. as Dean Brannock. I think he was really good. I can't wait to see him do, I was like, I can't wait to see him do like uh, mobster movies in a couple of years. He just, he's got that New York feel to him. Um, he's mm. playing a New York lawyer, and I'm like, you're just so fucking perfect for this role. He's actually been in stuff. Uh, he was in The Irishman, uh, with uh, how was it, Martin Scorsese as the director. So I'm like, okay, good. Mm-hmm. He has his foot in the door of mob movies because it, it's going to get to a point where we're going to need somebody to play, to play that kind of original Italian street tough. And I think that's the right guy for it. This kind of like senior mob member. I think he'd be fucking perfect for it. Um, but yeah, his his acting is really good. I think it's a very well acted series. There's not a lot of things you're like, oh, that's like over the top. Um, but I, I think it's um, it's a really good show. And like, it's there's points of it you're like, how are they doing things like this? This is you're kind of involved in along with the mystery. So it's a very good show. Yeah, I'd recommend it to anyone to feel a bit spooky because I was like, I don't want to say this is our last episode before Halloween, but it might be. Um, so yeah, that's just a good spooky recommendation for anyone who wants to be kind of creeped out and feel unsafe in your own home, because some people like that, I guess. I did make yeah, a mistake I mean, of watching episodes before bed. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. Is that the one that was, that set the record for the most jump scares or something like that? Uh, I don't think so. No, there was barely any jump scares. That's what I like about it, is it wasn't, um, it's not about that. It's more about just a, a general creepy ambience. Um, but I, I do know that they're, oh, this Netflix show has the world record for the most jump scares. And I'm like, that's not good horror. That's not good television. Yeah. That's schlocky horror. Uh, most jump scares movies on Netflix. Um, nope, I don't think it was a movie because it was like episodes. Mm. Um, but I want to just see which one it was. I did also see The Midnight Club. Which is a shame because I'd heard good things about that. It's from the same guy who did uh, Midnight Mass. Um, oh, uh, Mike Flanagan? Yeah, 
his shows. He's done like three or four of these shows on Netflix. Yeah. And I'm like, all I of them with Rahul Kohli. Oh, that's good. I like Rahul. Yeah. He had some other project coming up, and I was like, oh, he's in that. Like, he's in a pretty heavy hitting show. It's actually something with yeah. Mark Hamill, funnily enough. Yeah, that's um, that's another Mike Flanagan thing uh, as well. Ah. It's like House of Usher, I think it's called. Yeah, that's it. The House of Usher. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I'll go check out his stuff because I've heard good things about Mike Flanagan's work, but then you're always the most jump scares per per episode of a show, and I'm like, that's not a Guinness record you want to hold. It's it's cheap, it's lazy, it doesn't actually build anything and doesn't come across very effectively. But I just it, for some people, it's the essence of horror, and I'm like, it's not it. It's just not it for me. I, I want something a bit. I want a lingering feeling of dread, you know. And I I think yeah. that um the haunting manages that over jump scares. There's maybe like one that I can think of, and it's it's very obviously telegraphed that it's gonna happen, but it's it's very it's pretty well pulled off. Um, but I'd say in terms of what was the most enjoyable about it, it is just this kind of feeling of corruption creeping in. And you're like, oh no, just that feeling of foreboding and dread that's more effective as horror, as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. Oh. Which reminds me, actually, I read uh, Uzumaki. Uh, which is Junji Ito's... Junji uh, Ito. Yeah. It's a story about spirals. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fucking terrifying at points. Not... Yeah. Like, the body horror is very good. And I'm, I've never been really affected by it because I'm like, oh, it's just it's, it's something in a movie. It's just a, a cartoon or something like that. It's just somebody, you know... Yeah, it's a body peeling itself in half, but it's it's fake. I can tell that. But actually sitting through and just enjoying a, an entire thing dedicated to body horror and morphing and shifting and changing and this um this kind of panic that sets in because of it is like, oh, that is kind of effective as horror. I do enjoy this kind of... The fact that you're watching people realising they're people in the face of just basically God fucking with them. And you're like, oh, yeah. you can't win this at all, but you're going to have to try and push against it even though it's basically hopeless. So yeah, that's. I have a few more uh, books. I, I did promise myself I was going to read them all in October. I could still do it technically, but I'm going to have to sit down and just binge read uh, for the next week because I've got Gio and uh, Tommy. Gio is a, a series of uh, stories about a like a fishing town where like fish monsters fight back, and Tommy is about a a, a girl who is basically, I think. A friend of mine described it as being like it's the horror of high school in a sense, like it's all about societal pressure and um, conformity and stuff like that, which is always it's an interesting aspect of Japanese culture that I'm like, okay, yeah, I could see you making a good, interesting horror series out of this. So I'm gonna. Try I think I've actually this. read Kyo. Is that the one with the, there's the shark that has legs or something like that? Yeah, it's a shark on like crab legs. Yeah, I, I do. I fucking love that. Is again as someone who's, I don't want to say raised on horror, but I pretty much was the first horror film i watched was a uh, halloween when i was five years old so i've always <laughs> been interested in horror and especially after watching super eye patch wolf videos on sort of Junji ito's work i was like okay i need to check out one of these i did read a bit of gyo and i did try and read most of his Umaki, but i couldn't find a copy online so i was like you know what i think i'm actually would buy these books if i had the money for them i tell you what i'll let you borrow my copy of them i'm more than happy to give you uzumaki for a bit yeah, because um, I've done with it. I'm coming back for it, but I'm I'm done with it for now. I'm gonna let it kind of sit in the back of my head and just resonate for a bit, and I'll come back and read it again. Because there's chapters of that I'm like, that was fun, in it, in like the best kind of horror way possible. That was a fun chapter to read. 
I think you'll I think you'll enjoy it as well. But yeah, I yeah. highly recommend Junjito's work. Um, I I just I find him his his way of sketching out drawings is very kind of. It reminds me a lot of like old school animation and drawing that you used to see in like old comic books, and it it just feels like it's from an older time. And I'm like, it's very nice to see it, stuff that looks like that compared to the newer anime and stuff or newer manga that I have. But it's, mm-hmm. it's still very it's very clean and polished, and it's, it's not that Junji's work isn't polished and unprofessional. It just feels different. It's because all the little micro marks that he's gotten or the little scratches to give things texture, whereas I feel like newer designs of manga are much cleaner. Because they're faster to draw and produce. I think that's maybe a difference that's made there. But Junjito's is clearly like this painstaking, detailed labour of. Same way that we like. Uh, uh, same way that we like Kintaro Mira's work, where it's all very kind of detail driven, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's about the tiny little brush strokes that make up the painting. That's what I like about it. Yeah. So I think you'd. I think you'd enjoy See that it's well. not just, you know. A tiny little image it's like he's kind of building up to this with like with the different brush strokes and stuff like that yeah so i'll, I'll give you all one of that I'm more than happy to because i'm gonna i'm gonna power through these i'm gonna try and get them all done by the end of the the month because it's been it's been a good ride through Uzumaki. so hmm. you've been reading anything or watching anything good recently or hey. i'm burning up for recommendations at this point i am still reading uh my copy of chip Zdarsky's daredevil uh finished the first book Power through the second book, and then decided uh, to take a break. So I didn't want to burn through all of it because I know volume eight comes out in a couple of months. Oh, that uh, eight is long. Yeah, there's there's just something about the way Chip Zdarsky writes Daredevil that is genuinely it's it's something that I've never really seen before. Because everyone else, when they draw Daredevil, when they write Daredevil, they either do it as he's this kind of dark brooding character, but Chip Zdarsky has this way of kind of writing different uh, facets to him and. Uh, kind of leans into his spirituality, his kind of Catholicism, that kind of thing. Hmm. And uh, it's just been an absolute wild ride to see that kind of unfold. And then I found out that he's doing a Batman run. Oh. And I'm desperate to see what he's going to do with Batman because uh, Chips Zdarsky was one of those kind of diamonds in the rough. I was like, I was kind of, I was only really buying comics and uh, graphic novels that I knew about because I was buying uh, Batman No Long Halloween, but Chips Zdarsky was one of those finds that was like, okay, I like Daredevil. Let's see what this guy's doing with it. Then I read one of them and I was like, oh, okay, why did I wait so long to see this? Then I Googled Chip Zdarsky and I seen that he's just done so fucking much. Okay, this guy's now made a fan out of me. Whatever he puts out, like he's done an independent comic book called Public Domain. So if I can find a copy of that, I'll be reading it. The guy is just, the guy's genuinely one of the best comic writers out there. And that's, that's saying something considering... Uh, most of the good stuff that's coming out comic comic book wise anyway there's a lot of crap don't get me wrong uh coming out especially coming out of no offense i love marvel but marvel's comic books are kind of suffering right now they they don't seem to be getting the the good writers with the exception of some characters like daredevil's doing fine some of the other more ground level superheroes are doing fine but right. do you reckon it might be because the the big characters have all become these movie stars that's kind of okay we need to get in someday who's either going to keep the status quo or go make big changes to the big characters to kind of shake them up a bit, or is it just something else that's going on that we don't know about? I think it is pretty much that people are trying to match the MCU, quite like you said there. Uh, they're seeing it right. There's a potential that this film, this comic book, could become a film, so they're trying to make it big and epic, and then it's just falling flat on its face. Oh. 
So they're trying to do these big epic scenes, but they're just kind of falling flat on their face. But where you get guys like, I don't know if he's still writing for Marvel, but uh, Jason Aaron, who wrote the Thor books, what he did was kind of slow it down a bit. You know, let's show Thor pushed up against it. He's fighting Gore the, Gore the God Butcher, the comic version, not the movie version. Uh, and it's genuinely a challenge for him. Show Thor having to think things out instead of just wading in there with a hammer and beating the shit out of things. And Chip Zdarsky, his tactic for Daredevil was just, okay, let's ground it and let's show him, you know, fighting Wilson Fisk, but he can't touch Wilson Fisk because he's the mayor of New York. Mm. So I think, yeah, like you said, they're just saying, well, let's try and make it, this could become a film someday, so let's make it as big and epic as possible. I'm like, nah, you've doing that, you're just trying to, you may as well write a script at that point, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's because I, I feel like it, and this might be totally wrong, but we can totally the wrong thing. As much as comic books have their big moments, it is more about these small moments that make the character that you follow in the story, so that then they are in a big moment towards the end of a big run. So it's like a kind of earned moment you've journeyed with this character, seen them solve the little bits and pieces that lead to a big final event that is a bit flashy and big, or doesn't even have to be that big. But normally it's around a core of like small characters. There's like maybe five or six main characters. Maybe a bit of work on the villain side with some henchmen and some goons, but you know they're just there to fill out the comic book pages, and then yeah. you just have if you're having a big fight towards the end, it's justified by thirty volumes of like build up to it. Whereas it feel is this? Am I right in saying like the the stuff that's coming out now? It's like okay, big event every every edition. Yeah, it's always seem always seems like whenever they bring out a new a new book, they don't want to do the groundwork. They just take for granted that. Yeah, you you know what's you know what's happening here. We're just going to speed right to the big fight. Like, no, let's build build the house up. Or at least I get the feeling that's what it's like with certain the big names. Like, I haven't read an Iron Man book in a while, but I think the last one I read was quite literally him uh, in the middle of a big fight. Or if Iron Man does show up, it's quite literally uh, he's there for the big fight. They don't uh, build his character. They don't develop his character. It's quite literally, just here he is. He's going to show up, fire some Omega Beams, fire some Beams, then he's going to fuck off again. <laughs> One line equip and out the building. Go. Yeah, pretty much. It's like they're trying to focus on the smaller characters, but they never really stick it. Mm. See, I was watching um, She-Hulk, because you were talking about Daredevil, and I just remembered that you know, yeah. Daredevil's there, and it was a different version of what I'm, I think I've seen, because I did see somebody posting like comic books, uh, like panels, from a scene between uh, Peter Parker and Daredevil. Um, mm-hmm. So it was you know, the two of them, and they were talking about keeping secret identities. And Spider Man's like, No, I'm Peter Parker, nice to meet you. What's your name? And Daredevil's like, No, please don't do this. Like, don't give me your name. Like, don't, that's a mistake. Yeah. Take it back, you know? <laughs> I never knew who you were. I never had the ability to know who you were. I just, I can normally figure people out, but I can't figure you out. Just stay anonymous. Stay hidden behind yeah. the mask. And it's all this, it's a monologue about how, how much he's lost as because of Daredevil or because of the alternative life. I think he said, mm-hmm. Three wives have been killed, one was in an insane asylum. And I'm like, well, that's an interesting nuanced character take. Whereas in She-Hulk, he was just kind of like, he was just a guy. He was just kind of like, uh, he felt more like Spider-Man, but obviously without the web-slinging powers. Like, he knew martial arts and stuff. But, but yeah. Daredevil's already always known martial, some kind of martial art of some sort. Um, or some kind of fighting ability. And then he mm-hmm. was just kind of like, he, he didn't seem that kind of dark and brooding. He just seemed kind of happy-go-lucky. Kind of, yeah, cool, I'll work with She-Hulk, whatever. You know? Yeah. Don't get me wrong, Daredevil is that kind of dark and broody character, but there are some moments of comedy and levity and things like that. 
and especially when he's working with a female superhero, there is those kind of flirty moments as well, and that's where I think this whole lighthearted Daredevil comes from. Oh, right. it wasn't a case that he was just kind of yeah, like, I'm going to be badass here. It's like nah, he was being he was being a bit flirty. He had hmm. he had She Hulk there. He's he not was... showing. Up, he doesn't show up like oh, I'm Red Batman. You know, he's he yeah. actually has a personality of kind of flirtiness. Okay, that's fine. I wasn't sure if that was what we saw because I mean, my exposure to Daredevil is unfortunately the the movie with Colin Farrell and uh, what's his name. Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. I had yeah. to explain, by the way, that Ben Affleck was Daredevil to somebody at work. And I'm like, you kids know nothing. <laughs> this Marvel MCU oh, shit, we, we sat through the prequels for that one. <laughs> the old school... See, you're uh, not lucky you have it. Like, Charlie Cox is a fantastic Daredevil. We had Ben Affleck just kind of doing shit. <laughs> for some reason, there's something about the way he was acting blind. Uh, when he's, I think like it's Electra just touching his face. I think they're in a shower together. And there's something just about the way his face looks when he's trying to like pretend to be blind. And I'm like, yeah. I, I, no. <laughs> I, th- I think he's making fun of blind people. I don't know why. <laughs> Every chance, man. Every chance. But his version of acting blind is he just kind of looks up to the right <laughs> and looks to the left again with his eyes wide open. Yeah, but I, the last um, the last episode I saw was the Daredevil one, and it was uh, I was very interested to see that they took like an old school character uh, like Frogman. And brought that out, and I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Although, from what I understand, it's not like comic book Frogman; it's a, it's a different version. Yeah, it's a douchebag version. Because I heard he was like, kind of, he was not quite a villain, but he wasn't really a hero. But this one, they go full villain with him. Uh, this one, they kind of go. He tries to be a hero, but he's he's an absolute shit stain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I it was it was interesting that like they gave him this kind of character of, like he sw- he swings towards like hero at one point and then it was his oh yeah it was the the trial and I gotta say I don't know how you feel about the, the the trial scenes as a you know a lawyer but uh, no <laughs> every time there's a case in the show it's the dumbest thing possible it's like, it's yeah. worse than Judge Judy it's like Judge Judy but by Maury Maury Povich standards I mean some of the stuff they get all right uh, they they mention some accurate legal things but. Uh, was a, there was a few points where uh, when Titania was in there, I was like, okay, she shouldn't be talking right now. The lawyer should be doing a good job of telling her to shut the fuck up. Yeah, she shows but, up uh, drinking. Oh no, it was the, yeah. the woman that they, they have, uh, like, who got teleported into another dimension. She shows up drinking and is, like, offering the judge her Cosmo. Yeah, that that, that, that entire testament should be thrown out. But uh, actually, the most legally accurate thing was, uh, funnily enough, when Matt Murdock showed up and just dismantled the entire case in seconds. That was so fast, it was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's one of those cases where it's like it's so basic and th- it's quite well explained and laid out that this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. He hasn't can revealed this to She-Hulk as a lawyer or as his lawyer. Therefore, all this information, like she's working on the premise that everything was working as intended him using i think it was jet fuel or something like that yeah and he, he's like oh yeah i told him not to use jet fuel and immediately it's like right case is out done you're fucked yeah. <laughs> and even lay people can understand that and i'm like okay yeah you just fucked up pretty bad yeah. <laughs> if it takes a lawyer 20 to 30 seconds to dismantle your entire case you know for a fact it's never gonna go well yeah but it's just one of the things of like when it comes to she hulk as a lawyer it's like she has had two or three cases and they've all gone pretty dramatically bad um and it's like it's a shame we're not seeing that side of her as a as a competent lawyer because if she was a very good competent lawyer you could make the show about the fact that she is a genuinely talented person when it comes to you know being a lawyer and she is being used for her greenness or just because she's the star of the moment rather than as an actual yeah. lawyer 
that did kind of bug me because there was the whole plot point at the start. It's like, you guys only want me because I can turn green. And I was like, no, you're a good lawyer. It's like, well, you didn't really show that she's a good lawyer. Yeah, I've not been sold on her, her abilities as a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> she's not a great lawyer. Decent um, superhero. It does smash the shit out of some stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we use that. Actually, I did think it interesting that she had that clap and brought that back. And that obviously really messes with Daredevil because he is basing his fighting abilities on his hearing abilities. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I thought that was good. That was good to bring back. I appreciate that. I'm not sold on the the new suit. That Oh, wait, um, for Daredevil? For Daredevil, yeah. I was saying, the, the red and gold is like kind of, ugh. <laughs> uh, I mean, the whole point of the, the... It's meant to be red and yellow. The whole point of that is red and yellow was his... Uh, the colour of his dad's boxing robe. Because mm-hmm. uh, the, the his, his dad was a boxer and the, what kind of started him off on this whole path was, you know, his dad was killed by the mob, that kind of thing. And the the red and yellow, the yellow and red costume was meant to be an homage to that. Now it just looks bad. I, I, I don't like the look of it. It looks too close to the Flash's uh, outfit for some reason. Maybe it's just the... the something about it and it's the, the fact that it's got the kind of the modern MCU armor, where I mean, admittedly, the stuff in the Ben Affleck uh, movie is basically just a gimp suit. Yeah, yeah, they just found out a red gimp suit. I'm like, ah, I guess that does it. <laughs> yeah, just like it's biker leather. No, it's a gimp suit. Yeah, I'm not not feeling it. Um, I'm trying to find actually who was playing the dad because I feel like his Matt Murdock's dad was somebody that I remember for some reason. Uh, oh, it was David Keith as Jack Murdock in the original in the Ben Affleck movie. But I, I think I remember for some reason I had him, I had him pegged as somebody totally different. But no, it's, it's David Keith. I've seen in a few films, but not in a lot of stuff. And unfortunately for him, Daredevil is in his like top four MDB like kind of known for. Like, hey, you should remember him from this. Like, I would not want Daredevil to be my known for page. <laughs> but my other stuff is an officer and a gentleman behind enemy lines and the Indian in the cupboard. Actually, I probably won't want an Indian in the cupboard to be. Am I known for either? Because that probably doesn't sound too good. <laughs> but being known for Daredevil, that's kind of a shame. I'll finish She-Hulk. Um, I've got one episode left to go. I just, I've not had time to watch it this week. I'll wrap it up because I've got one episode left. And then, do you want to deep dive it or maybe do a little bit more on it next episode? Yeah, I mean, we can we can talk about it just as a, as a series. But ultimately, I don't think it was that, that spectacular to warrant a full yeah. deep dive. Yeah, like, I, I got a best like, watching it, I'm like, kind of wasn't worth my time, in a way, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, if I would recommend something that's kind of modern geek, I would maybe just say The Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power was pretty decent. Um, I finished that, but I was like, I don't know if you even started that. I'll get to it. I'm not in a massive rush to, to yeah. watch it just now. Um, if I really want to get my fix of Lord of the Rings stuff, I'll watch the films or read the books. I'm... Um, I'll watch some of the films. I won't watch all of the films. But uh, <laughs> I wonder which ones he will skip. <laughs> the one that was made in three. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, yeah. it's not Tolkien. It's not that original kind of. Uh, I mean, to be fair, everyone's taking deviations from Tolkien because it was so fucking meshed between all these different uh, ideas that he had, and it was like so much to go through, and everyone else has changed it. So why not make your own version? But it's, yeah, some of it was pretty good. Um, I think the first episode was really bad. So I'm going to have to actually power through that one to get to the interesting part when they're not trying to have Galadriel lead out a squad of rangers. Once they actually get her into elven society, it's quite interesting. 
Like there's a there's a fight scene with a, a troll in a cave that is borderline offensive. It's one of the things that I hate they do. I hate that they do this thing with characters where um they, they just take the badass character and to show they're a badass they make everyone else incompetent. It's a team of elven commandos trying to fight a snow troll and nobody dodges anything. It's so frustrating. It, it drove me nuts. But it's, it's a good show in general. I think once they get back to Middle Earth and they're not up in like the, the weird snow area, I think it gets really good. But yeah, I'd, I'd recommend that. Speaking of... I'll, I'll give it a watch, but just... If I find something else to watch in the meantime, I'll probably watch that over Rings of Power. <laughs> yeah, understandable. Um... Speaking of recommendations, uh, I've got an elevator pitch for you. Oh, cool. Let's hear it. Just to wrap up the show, um, I'm going to recommend Brian Moore, uh, aka B Moore the Prince. Uh, he is a one man band doing these skits by himself, like he's doing the jokes with himself and acting them all out with different characters. I'm uh, fascinated by these type of videos because I see them all the time. They're all over TikTok and uh, Twitter and uh, like YouTube and stuff like that, like YouTube Shorts. I find them on YouTube Shorts, just happen to skim by one of his bits. Um, he has these recurring gags where it's either it's normally either intergenerational bickering where you have like millennials, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, boomers, and uh, Gen X and stuff like that. Um, them all arguing about a topic, and it's pretty good. He's pretty good at getting all the different uh, character, different characters having different perspective and views on stuff. And he then has a different style of video where he's doing uh, the year personified. So, like, obviously, like, 2020 has been a complete disaster, but it's, like, a kind of malicious thing. <laughs> and then, like, 2022 is kind of, like, an idiot stoner. Um, and it's just kind of, like, bumbling along, making mistakes and just taking the piss like that. Um, but, yeah, he, like, has his skits that he does with different characters. And he's pretty good at firing them out. I mean, like, uh, the example I'm putting out is the link that will be in the, the episode description is his video he did the same day as the death of Robbie Coltrane. Um, and it's respectful. It's not like he's taking the piss out of a dead man. It's more about just like yeah. the reaction to it, and he's using his his character of God. So like his character of God is like an out of the loop CEO, uh, and he has Jesus as his because Jesus is his son, his representative on earth. He is kind of like the receptionist or intern, uh, the understudy of God. I think it's quite funny. It's a good dynamic he has between these characters that he's playing himself, and uh, it's it's pretty consistent between the videos. Um, unfortunately for us millennials, we're portrayed as alcoholics, which is not necessarily untrue, but yeah, it's it's, it's pretty good. I, I like his stuff. Uh, Bemo the Prince is out there somewhere. I find him on YouTube. I've got to assume he's somewhere on TikTok, blowing up, but yeah, I like his skits. Yeah, I actually do have an elevator pitch this week. Um, on the subject of something that we don't really have enough time to talk about this week, um, you know I'm a big fan of Resident Evil. Uh, I kind of keep up to date with it, with various projects and stuff, fan projects through... Uh, this week's elevator pitch of mine, and that's the YouTube channel Ink Ribbon, which I just dropped into the, the chat there. Uh, basically, this guy, he, he streams a lot of Resident Evil stuff. He does a lot of lore, deep dives. He talks about some projects that were shit-canned by Capcom, some projects that are being done by fans. Like uh, Someone is currently doing a seamless Resident Evil 2 HD mod. All right. So removing all the loading screens, up-resing the textures. So if you like Resident Evil, or if you have even a mild interest in Resident Evil, I'd highly recommend uh, Ink Ribbon. That's interesting. A seamless idea of Resident Evil 2 would be interesting to play because I feel like with a game like that where it's an intense horror game, the loading screens are that brief respite that you get. Yeah. So just taking that away from the player and seeing what happens when they panic would be pretty awesome. If my PC could, uh, if I could find a copy of it when it's finished, I'd probably give it a, give it a shot. Yeah. I think that's going to do it for today's show. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so on Twitter at Jibberfish. 
or you can reach out to us by email, jibberfishpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll take a look at those if they come in. Um, in the meantime, I've been Colin Graham. I've been Tom Anderson. And we've been talking jibberfish. <laughs>